like we're so acutely aware of what the problems are because they're very relevant and like in our face in terms of climate change like we can we can see it and chronic disease like when you ask you know put your hand up who here knows someone with a chronic disease and like at your talks you know you're saying almost everyone's putting up their hand and i feel like yeah as young people now we can we like we see what's wrong um and then when like listening to elders or to spiritual leaders or just talking to friends like just the wisdom is um it's so relevant <laughs> and it just seems to make sense it's like oh yeah well yeah that is messed up and that sounds like a really good solution and so it's kind of this understanding and then you know that yeah, it gives us hope as well that there is a way forward and the way forward is actually like looking into the past to yeah. <laughs> the way forward is kind of going backward um. hello everyone and welcome to the eat real to heal podcast on today's show i have two beautiful beautiful guests they are smart they are intelligent they are wise beyond their years they're only in their early 20s and it is incredible to have two guests that are really so young that have already done so much good in the world starting with Chantelle Adams. She is a director, a researcher, a writer, and she is part of the film crew that we worked with to film our documentary, Grounded in My Roots. If you haven't seen Grounded in My Roots yet and you haven't been to a pre-screening, know that you can head over to our website at groundedinmyroots.com and you can get on the wait list for when the announcements come out that Grounded in My Roots is public. Just to let you know, Grounded in My Roots has already received an official selection and was played at the Maui Film Festival in June, which was very exciting. And Chantelle and her partner, business partner and life partner, Gabriel Swift, were both part of bringing that documentary to life for us. So we couldn't be more grateful. Now, Chantelle, she grew up with the teachings and Haida laws of respect and consent, having been born in Haida Gwaii, in the beautiful British Columbia. Along her journey, she realized how important, deep, meaningful connections and conversations were to her, along with belonging and connection to community, land, and water as well. So in wanting to continue building connections in a healing way with people, Chantelle pursued a degree in child and youth care with an Indigenous specialization. She became involved in research with Kinship Rising that recenters Indigenous ways of being through arts and land-based methodologies. And it was through this journey that she found her passion and storytelling. It is Chantelle's keen affection for people, nature, healing, reclamation, and belonging that drives her research and creative journey. Now, Gabrielle Swift, her partner, is also a director and a cinematographer. Gabrielle has always been fascinated by the process of creating art, intrigued by stories about the power of the natural world and the human condition. He witnesses daily how visual storytelling provides an outlet 
to share stories across cultures and generations that can make lasting impacts on our lives and the decisions we make. He has worked alongside an award-winning team as a cinematographer on the feature-length film Coextinction, which I really encourage everyone to watch. It is a beautiful film. And Gabe really knows that everyone has a voice, a perspective, and a story that just needs to be heard. And he's able to bring those stories to life through film. Gabriel's focus is in creating films that heal and foster connection to ourselves and the natural world. So as you can see, these humans are beautiful, beautiful, connected, interconnected beings. And I just feel so honored and grateful to have us have them both on our show. So without further ado, let's jump into the podcast with Chantelle and Gabe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Eat Real to Heal podcast. I am your host, Nicolette Richet, and on today's show, I'm really, really excited to have Chantelle Adams and Gabriel Swift from Sa'anaway Studios. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Excited to be here. So excited to have you here because we have spent a lot of time together over the last year and a bit um, with the filming of Grounded in My Roots, which I will get into, but... I really just love how serendipitous it was that we just all came together because we had been looking for an Indigenous filmmaker for our film and um, we had reached out to different funders and they directed us to you, which was really incredible. So I just feel like it was meant to be that we worked together. Definitely, especially from that first conversation we had. Oh yeah, that first conversation was... Um, you know, when I wanted to make this film and just for anybody who's listening out there, we have an incredible documentary called Grounded in My Roots that uh, it's a short doc just got completed by this beautiful team right now, right here. And, um, and it'll be out hopefully this summer, we'll be able to re release it. And when I'd first written the storyboard and sent it to you, it was just such a relief to have you come back and be like, I 100% get what you're doing. Like that was huge. And I know definitely that you two have been raised um, differently than most of the people in Canada, I would say, like more connection to the land, more connection to healing, more co connected to ancient ways, traditional ways of knowing um, that many of the people. And so that's what I'm like really excited to get into this um, show about. Definitely. But tell me, what were some of your first thoughts that came to you when we first sent the storyboard to you? um well, I guess originally like yeah I guess I'll talk a little bit about how things have kind of progressed and changed a bit from the original storyboard which was like I guess the main thing was the run across Canada and that was like how that's kind of yeah transitioned and changed to like what grounded is now and then the film that we're going to do next year which is the run across Canada yeah um but I think, yeah, from the first storyboard, what stuck out to me was, I mean, one, just like that goal that you set to run and bike across Canada, and especially, as you said, like a non-athlete and like the training that you were going through, I'm like, man, she is driven and committed. But then the other part was just the, um, yeah, learning more about chronic disease. I, I think through this whole journey, um it's been like that part of it's been 
hard, um, like learning about chronic disease and how many people are being affected by it and disproportionately affected by it, mm-hmm. particularly like BIPOC communities, Indigenous communities across Canada. Um, but also, I don't know, the pitch left me feeling hopeful too. And I think through this journey, like it's always been paired with a lot of hope that there are ways to reverse disease. And so that's, I think that's what caught my attention was there was that hope piece to it as well. Like it wasn't um, doom, just all doom and gloom. It's like, there's problems, but we can also fix the problems or be a part of like on that journey to fixing them. Yeah. I feel like it was really that first phone call for me that really stands out where you were just telling us about what you wanted to do and run across Canada, go into these communities and really try to learn more about what's going on. And it was originally for your PhD. And I just found it so beautiful because coming from the world of academia where it's really, when you write papers and dissertations and everything, it feels like you're writing it for other academics. Whereas I feel like the film you wanted to make was for everyone, anyone who wanted to watch it, you know, not just people who have access to a university library. And I think that part really stuck out to me and the decolonizing foodways and reconnecting with your own ancestors, uh, decolonizing foodways, eating whole, healthy, organic, fresh foods that can help us heal in so many different ways. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just, yeah, I think just the, your holistic picture really connected to me. Yeah, and it was nice to, you know, cause I've been doing this work for so long. And, you know, when I first started doing this work 15 years ago and I would be like, you can reverse disease and we have to go back to, you know simpler ways of eating and more holistic ways of eating. People used to look at me like it was crazy. Like you can reverse disease. Um, but it was amazing to have that first conversation with you as well, where you, um, like it was, it was just that you got it. And you guys are young, like you guys are in your twenties, like early twenties still, which just like floors me because in so many ways you have so much more knowledge than, you know, most adults, um, you know, grownups, like people who have children and, you know, with all the stuff that they're feeding their children, like you just immediately got it. And I was like, yes, finally, for the first time, I don't have to like explain myself you know, so that was really huge for me. That was really important because obviously in making a film about reversing chronic disease or making a film, it covered so many themes. And we talked about that, how like there were so many themes in that one storyboard, but you know, the, the part two about how indigenous and black communities um, and communities of color across Canada, across the United States, across the world, like that part is huge. Um, most people don't know that um, chronic disease affects these individuals, you know, at four to eight times higher rates than um, non-Indigenous folks or, you know, or white folks, for example. And so that was another part that was really important because so many people don't realize that um, a lot of the health issues in Indigenous communities, in Black communities, like it's not a gender 
you know, it, it's, or not, it's not a genetic condition, it's a lifestyle condition. And so you having that knowledge was also, um, and awareness and, and lots of lived experience as well. Like knowing that that was important in the making of this film as well, because so much would be missed. And I can't even imagine like, you know, can you even make a film like the one we made, you know, and that has touched so many people's hearts and makes people cry if you didn't hold that knowledge within you as well? I'm curious about that. Yeah, that's a good question. I feel like, you know, every film that we have made to date has touched one of us differently. And I feel like your story really hit my core in the editing suite. Um, where it's like, wow, like, yeah, it brought a lot of stuff up about my own lineage and my family and my nanny, like my grandma and connecting to the roots. Like, yeah, I think, I think it is really, someone once said at one point, I think you could probably say it better and remember who it was, but, um, it's talking about like you can really see people's lived experience in the edit like you can see kind of the struggles that they're going through or you know how they're living their life right now and I could see different parts of my own personality come out mm -hmm. in your story as well I think yeah that was I think curiosity is one of the most important factors like you have to be curious and interested in the subject and that's going to make a really great film but like I think yeah in terms of how you created the arc it's like that lived experience that mutual um experience and just knowing I don't know like you you kind of innately knew some of those things that like Nikki was going through which I think there was some scenes that you know I it's like yeah this isn't like I, I can't edit this I don't know like I don't know what this is I don't know what the mood should be I don't and so I think it was yeah but also at the same time um I guess on the on the other side of that there's like you can be so close to it or you can have a similar experience but view it a totally different way mm -hmm. um like you were saying it's like yeah you can kind of tell what someone was going through based on like watching their edits because of the way that they edited it um but yeah I feel like the um yeah I don't I don't know if it's like a prerequisite to have had to have gone mm -hmm. through that but I think it definitely like amplified <laughs> the vision of the film because you also don't want it you don't want your own lived experiences to take over someone else's story as well mm -hmm. so there's yeah I think a, a fine balance that you walk while while working but I think it was like story. the alignment I know I've had projects where I sort of placed my own bias or my own view like okay they probably see it like that and that was a big mistake it's like really getting to see how they see it but I think because there was so much like mutual <laughs> alignment a lot of the time it was just it was like oh yeah we see it the same way and so I think that that helped in making mm -hmm. it like, yeah a, a really deeper story 
Well, and that was a part about the film too, that, um, you know, I remember at the beginning when you said, well, there's two different themes coming out here. Cause I was like, no, it's about a run across Canada. It's about um, working with BIPOC communities to understand like, what are the barriers to accessing clean, real food? Like, I really thought it was, that was what this film was about. And then when you said that there was this other film about my story, I was like, what? Like, I remember I was like, my story, why is my story important? Like you had made the film with um, um, Silken, mm-hmm. um, uh, Silken Lauman, Lauman? Yeah. yeah, Silken Lauman, which is a beautiful film. And I was like, well, she's done all of these big things. Like that is a film worth making. And for my film, I was like, really? Like somebody wants to know about my story, discovering food is medicine. Like, because in my mind, I'm like, well, so many people already know about food as medicine. Like I haven't discovered anything big at all. All I'm doing is taking like hundreds and thousands of years worth of knowledge and research that's so obvious to me. Um, And, you know, and so I was just like, why would we make a film? But then now in seeing, there's so many similarities. Like I, my father's black, my mom is Indian and African you are part indigenous as well. And there was conversations about that, like this experience about being from two worlds almost. And how do you relate to your own ancestry? But now in seeing how you've interpreted, because I know that there's hundreds of hours of film that was not brought into that, into Grounded in My Roots. And I was like, how did she select those pieces? But in you selecting them, what's been so powerful is people's responses to the film that it's actually not even a film about how I discovered food as medicine it's a film about connecting to our ancestry and in connecting to our ancestry we bring forward the lost wisdom Mm -hmm. right and that lost wisdom so many people who commented on the film, they cried and they remembered their grandmother being in the garden with their hands in the soil. They remembered their grandparents like working the land and and they were crying and feeling like this loss, not just for their grandparents, but the way their grandparents were. And when we first started this film, I had no idea this is what we were gonna end up with, which I just think is like, you just did such a brilliant, brilliant, job in that so I have to thank you for that thank you for sharing your story with us Mm -hmm. well and in sharing my story I see how you know I've got to learn so much from you about your stories which is really amazing too because your mother um she is a medical like she went to medical school Mm -hmm. and if you could just share that because I think that is such a powerful like just that story alone, I think we can make a documentary on that, you know, of a mother who goes to medical school, but then who ends up not practicing medicine. So if you could share a little bit about that, I think it's a really amazing, impactful story for people to heal. Yeah, she went to medical school. I'm sorry, mom, if I get this wrong, but (laughs) she did her medical school in Ontario. And as part of her residency, she knew someone who was um, practicing in Haida Gwaii, who she had met, I think in Vancouver. And he was like, you should come do your residency in Haida Gwaii. So she came up and she stayed with my great, great grandmother, my nanny, 
and um, boarded with her for a bit. And she did her residency in Haida Gwaii, met my dad. Um, he, she was vegetarian at the time and he tried to keep asking her out for steak dinners, which <laughs> was at the Legion, which did not go well, but eventually continuing to pursue, um, he got through. And yeah, she practiced, I wanna say for six months um, after receiving her degree um, as a medical doctor. And she realized she really liked the helping people part of being a medical doctor, but she didn't love the medicine part. And so she got grandfathered into being a counselor and now she continues her practice counseling. But yeah, we grew up on whole foods, cooked foods mostly. Um, yeah, she she's always been really into health, I would say, my whole life. And for your dad, because your dad is Indigenous and he grew up in Haida Gwaii, mm -hmm. is that correct? Yeah. And so what was that like, this meeting of really these two worlds where you have a mom who's vegetarian, who's a medical doctor with Western medical training, and then she moves to Haida Gwaii. Your dad um, is Indigenous, where traditionally it was all whole foods that were consumed. And so was your dad living a similar lifestyle of eating all whole foods that were, you know, fresh and clean and, you know, lots plant-based or what was that like? I think, I actually, that's a good question. I actually don't know a lot about that. I know my nanny made a lot of bread and goodies and salads and good wholesome meals. Um, I'm not sure exactly what they were though. Um, I know he, you know, salmon and a lot of seafood, um, seaweed, uh, berries, yeah, a lot of like hunting gathering kind of style food as well as a combination with more Western foods. Um, yeah. I'll have to ask him about that. <laughs> yeah, and I and I think it's interesting too because your um, um, well, it's one of the um, things we were talking about earlier is one the wisdom of the elders and then two the wisdom of women and women you know rising up and being leaders so we can see a real transformation in this world that is needed and you know so to have that perspective from your mom who was trained in western medicine but then also knew about the power of plant-based whole foods to heal and then being um connecting with your dad and then you have all of these ancestral stories from your grandmothers and great-grandmothers and then through that lineage as well it's amazing because it's this beautiful I see it as this beautiful swirl of potential right that is what we're essentially all working towards and you here are born into the center of all of that and so which makes up who you are and which made it that so when I came forward with our storyboard there was this resonance that was there that you know is this creation which is very similar to my own upbringing my mom who came from Africa 
and you know where everything was like we didn't have any western foods at all because we lived in this tiny village and then she meets my dad and she comes to east vancouver and you know everything is highly processed and refined and so then there was always this interesting dance between um knowledge about real foods but then this intermingling of this processed foods and so i grew up with that whereas there are a lot of families that don't have access to any of that everything is just western processed refined foods and no relationship between the land the food our bodies um, and what that means so so i see that you and I both sit in this interesting place where for other people, it takes them a lifetime to discover that, but you and I were born into that world. And so I'm just curious about how that has shaped you in your life, um, especially because you don't live in Haida Gwaii and you moved away and you came and you live in, um, you're in Victoria now. So I'm just curious about, you know, what that's like to be at the intersection of those worlds. Yeah, I think like going back in Haida, to Haida Gwaii and eating our traditional food, I feel like, yeah, it's, it's a different way of connecting to, I think, self and culture and our lineage. Um, yeah, like going and picking berries and gathering roots and picking plants. Um, yeah, there's a different kind of connection to the food that you're eating versus going to a grocery store. And I remember when Gabe and I were up there a few years ago, um, Audrey Siegel, who I believe from Musqueam territory, um, was just talking about how like when you put on your traditional clothing, when you listen to your traditional music, when you're, when you eat the traditional foods that are well, traditional to whatever lineage you are, like you are going to feel like the most beautiful person you've ever felt like you're really gonna like sit in who you are. And like, you know, if you're Indian, and you wear some of your Indian dress, and if you know, like me being Haida, um, you know, wearing the regalia, it's like, a such a different feeling. And I, I think that connects with both what you eat, how you dress, um, like even just connecting to the land and the waters from where you're from is such a powerful thing. And yeah, I don't, I know my mom's lineage is a bit more, un, was a lot more unknown. I know there's European, but um, not sure what mix it is. And so I feel, don't feel as connected to those roots, which I would love to learn more about but yeah really I feel really connected to my Haida roots and I think just anything that I can do that's connected to those practices makes me feel more whole I guess mm -hmm. yeah and I feel the same too when I eat foods that are connected and it always has been since I was little if I eat Indian food and curries and lots of you know tuber vegetables and um you know gingers and things like that I always like felt very grounded I felt very um 
I just felt very whole and, but I wasn't raised in a family that talked about culture and race or religion or, um, you know, our ancestry. My mom used to tell stories for sure, but not, you know, in, in anything on that meant on a spiritual, emotional, physical level. So it was more like, oh, okay, this is just the food we eat. But also it's interesting because Gabe, I remember when you said you had taken a DNA test and it came back that you were like 99.999% like white. <laughs> we were just talking about that the other day. I was saying, cause my sister did the test. I said, oh, maybe I'll have to do it because I'll, I'll get my mom's side. <laughs> but yeah, I know it's like, yeah, 99.9% mixed Northern European. <laughs> and which with like the questions that have come back from the film, uh, mostly like the number one question has been, well, you know, what if I don't have an ancestry? Like, what if I don't, you know, I'm not indigenous or black or Indian or South Asian, or, you know, I don't have an ancestry, but you do have an ancestry. Like you have a rich ancestry and, and your ancestors gave, they ate real whole foods, you know? Yeah. You know, thinking like about, cause yeah, I was thinking about that when you had that, that private zoom screening of the film. And I mean, through this whole journey, like, I mean, I guess, yeah, for me, it, it's been interesting because um, growing up, spent a lot of time in India. So I was thinking about that, but then also, um, yeah, 99.9% white, like thinking about my ancestors. And I know I've been talking to my dad about going back to Scotland and, you know, it just, it brought up this whole kind of exploration. But when you did the exercise, at the beginning of the Zoom screening where you said, you know, visualize like someone in your life, um, like a grandparent or an ancestor, whoever it is, and um, think about what they ate. And so I was really like, I thought about my, my grandma on my dad's side. So she was born in Scotland, um, but she, uh, she lived in Squamish and she had a garden. And I just started thinking more about what she ate and it was like every morning she'd have porridge and that was kind of like the standout thing and like super plain bland food like I always thought how do you eat that <laughs> like it was just a bowl of porridge um but she swore by it and like she lived to be nine in her like late 90s um and so yeah I, I was thinking more about her and like wanting to sort of trace that ancestry back mm. um I don't know I see in the store too there's like Scottish oatmeal and like all, so it's like okay you know that's uh I know when we were at your place you know we were having oatmeal every morning and um but yeah I, and the potatoes yeah the potato yeah the potatoes I feel really good when I eat potatoes <laughs> but originally yeah I was like okay yeah European like what I mean, there's a lot of meat, like that's kind of all, I didn't really dig deep, like at the beginning of it, it was like, okay, we have haggis and drink beer, like for the Irish side, <laughs> and that's like, I don't really connect with that, um, but yeah, it's it's been an interesting journey to try and like dig deeper into, you know, what it was that we we really ate. Yeah, and it's, and that's the part where I just love the, the 
title of the film, the, the two films actually, because the first film, which is the 20 minute short doc is grounded in my roots, um, which is about, you know, my discovery and finding food as medicine, but it's really about all of us being grounded in our roots. Like what are our roots and where, like how far back do we dig? like to find those roots like where is the true beginning of of those roots where do they start and then the next film is called the food of our ancestors which is the long doc which is going to be covering you know my journey across Canada but mostly uh, the the gatherings with BIPOC communities across Canada to understand like what is stopping us from being able to access all of this beautiful clean real food that is the food that actually keeps us free of chronic disease but, um, but, you know, in, you reminded me of like in that talk when we did the screening of the film that, you know, people were saying, well, like it's meat and beer um, that mostly my grandparents ate. And for sure, if you're like in your 20s or 30s, your grandparents are most likely still around. And yeah, they were raised in a colonized world, right? So we're like eating lots of meat and lots of beer, but we have to go back further because we have to go back to prior to colonization, we have to go back to not the wealthy ancestors that we had, because the wealthy ancestors, they, you know, if they can afford meat, then they were rich, it was a sign of wealth. And if they can afford alcohol, it was a sign of wealth. And so they would consume it, but they were the ones that usually had the diseases versus the ancestors that were more the peasant ancestors, like who are your peasant ancestors? And we, we look at that, like even going back to the Irish and the Scottish, it was, it was like, greens like collard greens and spinaches and um you know cabbage leaves and cabbage and potatoes and it was all of these foods that um the peasant families could afford right like they had to grow it and so that was how they ate and we see that there was a lot of that consumed um and so it doesn't matter if you're irish or scottish or or you know, in, indigenous to Canada or indigenous to Africa. I mean, we all really ate very similar. And if we look across the planet, for example, potatoes, you know, I'm always so surprised like how this film has allowed people to be like, finally, I can eat potatoes again. And I'm like, yes, and they grow everywhere. Like we have wild potatoes growing underneath our feet everywhere across the planet. Mm -hmm. Like just, they just grow. Little, little potatoes little long potatoes and high glass. Yeah, and I, and it, was it something that, you know, you would go out harvesting for? Because um, in Pemberton and Mount Curry, um, the Lillooet Nation, they do, they, it's actually an event to go together and to go harvest the potatoes that grow in the forest under the ground, like not in a farm, not in a cultivated area, like they're wild potatoes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know if they still do. I was reading my great, great nanny's uh, a biography that was written on her. And she was talking about going to one of her old village sites. And it was, its purpose really was for harvesting potatoes. Um, that's where we do a lot of, yeah go for a certain amount of time to get them all ready and um yeah I'm not sure if it's still going on to this day I know there was like a ton of different fruits and vegetables that we used to harvest I think too like just the at, at a really basic level it's like food of our ancestors no matter where they come from like 
they were eating real food. <laughs> so yeah. going to the grocery store, mm -hmm. like even if you can't figure out exactly what your ancestors ate, like we can all assume that they were eating real food because they, they didn't have packaged. the technology. Like I think, yeah, definitely looking in the aisles of grocery stores, it's like, this isn't food. <laughs> like this is so far away from what food is and and just like that story that you shared about um your grandmother and going to the village and showing her the eat real to heal t-shirt <laughs> like she didn't know what that meant <laughs> I think she eat real food like it's just food <laughs> yeah no she was so shocked to know that we had grocery stores that they exist and that you put food on a shelf because she was like well you can't just leave it there it would go rotten you know and there's yeah no kitchens in the village there's no shelves to put anything on you basically harvest the food from the earth that day and then you chop it and then you eat it and there's no fridges so you don't there's no leftovers like everybody just eats until they're full and then any scraps get thrown to like the chickens or if there's a few animals around but mostly I mean it's just that's real food like you just eat it and that's all you can do with it. Um, and it really is the conveniences of refrigerators and grocery stores that have contributed to the, the demise of our health, like being able to store food, package food, put it in plastic, all of these things that have contributed to all of these chronic diseases. And yeah, and yeah, for me, I'm, um, yeah, I'm like, how do we go back to real food? Like, that is the part too. Like, in making this film, it's not saying, everybody needs to grow their own food and harvest it that day. But it is to say like, when you do go to the grocery store, guess what? You do have a choice because mm -hmm. all the fresh real foods are there. Um, you can buy them and you can take them home and cook them and prepare them, but prepare them in healthy ways without having to also smother them in these colonized white foods, like the white flour, the white sugar, the white salt, like, you know, the refined oils, these foods that basically are contributing to, to the demise of our health. Like it's, it's incredible. And Gabe yeah. and I, like, yeah, we always shop the organic section in the grocery store, which is so small already. Yeah. So, like, you don't have a ton of diversity, but we've just been going around. There's so much farmland around where we live, and there's actually a ton of organic farm stands and um, markets and stuff. So, we've been starting to go to those and just have so much more variety from those and it's all in season and it's local which has been great for our diets mm -hmm. yeah yeah food stores yeah no we definitely need more people who are going to create just um grocery stores where there is not a lot of the refined products in there and um I love that movie that you introduced me to as well the documentary gather because mm -hmm. that's just such a beautiful film where um you know it's it's based in the United States and where um essentially an indigenous chef decides to start preparing real foods like real foods that where they he's he's decolonizing you know, the, his entire restaurant and just really creating foods where it's like everything comes from the gardens and then teaching people how to prepare it and how that's been contributing to healing um, of, of 
you know, decades and decades, like hundred years of trauma um, and, you know, and what's been done to indigenous peoples and being removed from their land and not being able to access these clean, real whole foods in this film gather, like everybody needs to see it because it also shows the history of colonization, how people didn't have these diseases before, basically that they were removed from their lands, put you know, onto lands where you couldn't grow food. And then they were basically just given, you know, the, the white food, right? The white flowers, the white sugars, the white, you know, uh, refined whole, refined grains, not the whole grains. And, you know, and then, uh, and then that leads to the diseases that come from that. And so, yeah, if people are out there, please watch that film. We'll put the link in the show notes as well. So I want to talk about a few things that you have done in the past. Number one, you showed me this super sweet article picture from the newspaper cut out of you when you're really young holding a film camera, which I just think is like you haven't changed a bit. So sweet (laughs) from high school. But um, and underneath there, it said the wisdom of the elders. So can you share a little bit more about what that clip from your um, what your phone is about and if you want to show it on the video that would be great too there's me right there Gabe yep. says I still have the same face <laughs> same. So, so beautiful I love it and then underneath it says wisdom of the elder so what was that about yeah so um let me just quickly so what the film was supposed to be about was having students come together and film the elders in the Cowichan area or a few select elders and learn wisdom from our elders. Um, and to be able to share that with the students growing up, I think I was in grade eight or nine at that point. Um, yeah, and it was just to get us one, a new experience filmmaking um to connect with our elders and yeah they I'm not sure where that project ended up but um yeah it was just really funny when I was thinking about being a filmmaker and then I was like I'm pretty sure I have a photo of me holding a camera like ages ago what it feels like and yeah, I was like, hmm, maybe I knew I wanted to be a filmmaker before I actually knew I wanted to be a filmmaker. No, it definitely looks like that <laughs> from seeing that picture. And do you remember some of the messages, like the wisdom from the elders that was gathered in that process? I don't. I, I honestly think I wasn't there for the elders part. I was there mostly for, I think, filming other students. Mm. Yeah, And what would you say now would be some of that wisdom from the elders? Because you are somebody who shares a lot of wisdom and has a lot of wisdom. So I'm just curious, what what would you say some of that wisdom would be? Mm, That's a good question. I feel like what we're trying to do in filmmaking right now is just that reconnection, recentering ourselves. Um, I think that's what's come up for me a lot lately, at least, is, yeah, just that reconnection of self to spirit, to the land, to the waters, foodways, 
just really getting grounded in who we are and using that as a way of healing. I feel like, I mean, I know for me moving away from Haida Gwaii and going into a mostly white school, it was hard being an indigenous person that looked white because everyone thought I was white. And then there was racism that I would hear because people wouldn't think that I'm native. And so then you start hiding that part of yourself or I started hiding that part of myself. And then coming into adulthood, really kind of reclaiming myself, my own identity, um, who I am and being proud of who I am. And so I think for me, it's just like, yeah, recentering, reconnecting has been a huge part of this journey. And I think it was also beautiful working with you, um, seeing you also on that journey and reclaiming who you are and your own power. And I think yeah, I think especially as Indigenous people with colonization and everything that's gone on, you know, my my chinny, my grandpa went to residential school until grade 11. My dad was in Indian day school with his siblings. Um, and there's all those points of disconnection along the way. You know, my nani and chinny said, they didn't want to teach my dad and his siblings the Haida language because of what I, I can only assume because of what happened in residential schools. So yeah, for me, I think knowledge that uh, would have been great to hear at that moment would have just been, yeah, be proud of who you are. Yeah, and I can relate to that as well because, you know, I left Africa when I was four. I didn't even know I was part Indian until I was 13 when a woman at the tennis, I played at this outdoor tennis club that cost $12 a year for the membership. And it was just four courts and we had like a shack of a clubhouse that was so tiny. And uh, one day we we're watching a tournament and this this, the wonderful tennis player who was so young and his grandma came to watch and she was from India and she looked at me and she said what part of India are you from and I'm like I'm not from India she's like but you are Indian I was like no I'm not and I went home to tell my mom like this woman in a sari with gold jewelry all over her told me I was Indian and she, my mom's like you are <laughs> you're like that's how much we never talked about race and culture in our house which we do need to talk about it because it is in us and if we and I really realize now the disservice of not talking about it means you we have this internal deep connection to another way of knowing but that connection is not spoken about and so then we feel not whole we don't feel complete we feel like something's wrong with us something's missing or at least that's how I felt and so then when I discovered I was Indian I didn't know what that meant um, but knew that there was other something else out there, but this disconnect. And so now as I'm like, as a 47 year old woman who's discovering that for the first time, I'm finally for the first time ever feeling whole, mm -hmm. feeling complete, feeling like I know myself more, you know, we're always discovering, you know, they say the greatest lesson that we can learn in life is to know thyself. But, you know, there's so many angles to that, like spiritually, mentally, emotionally, racially, religiously, um, you know, on all levels. And so now in discovering that, like, 
yeah, so I can relate to that for sure. And for me, people always saw me as being white because I didn't have any other kind of accent other than my Canadian, you know, Vancouverite accent. And, and I was the same when I went to Mississippi. Um, in Mississippi, people didn't see me as black. They didn't see me as white. So I heard the racism from both sides people would talk to me and make racial comments against white people and you know white people would make racial comments about black people and I was just like in the middle watching it all being like this is crazy but you got to hear these sides that a lot of other people don't get to hear and so which again leaves you feeling even more disconnected than anything I would say um this ancient wisdom that you talk about too is really it is very profound because like we were talking about whether you know you are 99.9 percent .9 scottish you know and irish then um but there is an ancient wisdom as well across all cultures and and i we talked about this before we started recording but it's discovering that ancient wisdom which is what is needed for the healing that you know has to take place on our planet because our planet you know climate change um, we have racism, which has been highlighted through COVID is still present more than ever. Um, we have, you know, so much trauma that needs healing. We have, you know, we talk about reconciliation, but what does reconciliation mean? And I truly see that, like, understanding that ancient wisdom is something we need to pull forth each and every one of us, no matter what race, religion, culture you are from, that if we can tap into that, that is a path towards our healing as well. And, and I love that you addressed that in the beginning. Um, I'm curious um, about, I haven't seen it yet and I've been wanting to watch it, but the film Coextinction that you worked on and um, Gabe, when you first started making that, tell us a little bit more, cause I know it changed avenues many time and now it's a film that has just been receiving awards. It's been, you know, it played up against David Attenborough's film which is like a huge big deal. So if you can talk a little bit more about that film cause I'm just so mesmerized by the two of you. You're so young and here you are, like you could be making probably Marvel films and all of that, but you're making these films that have such, such deep, rich meaning. And there really are films that heal, like they're, they're intended to heal and provide healing to our world and to our communities. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, yeah, that film, that was the first documentary that I had worked on. Um, and I got connected with the director, Gloria Pencrazi um, from Toronto. And then she ended up co-directing the film, her and Elena, Elena Jean. Um, and yeah, I had like the film, it was their first documentary as well. And the film really grew organically. I wasn't filmmaking full-time. I was working at a marina um at the fuel dock <laughs> and I was um there was a boat that would come in uh called straight watch um so they would go around and and let people know if they were getting too close to the orcas um and just advocating um like there's rules around how close boats can get to to orcas um and uh so yeah I would fuel up their boat and through conversation had mentioned that I was a filmmaker and they were making a pitch video for, at the time the film was called 78, because there was 78 Southern 
uh, resident killer whales. Mm. Um, and so I had shot um, something for them. And then a few months later, I hear that they received a big grant um, and they had been out filming for a few months and, and I joined them for about a month. Um, and we were editing a pilot episode for what was supposed to be like a 10 part series. And then like the film just really, yeah, it was so organic, like the whole process from where it started to where it is now. Um, I ended up like after editing the pilot with them, um, I went to India, I was working on their projects, but then they had actually turned it into a feature length film um, and submitted it to festivals. And it really like, yeah, I think, when we were traveling and um, at, at the beginning, it was like this idea that, um, you know, the the name got changed from 78 to co-extinction, which, I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful word and like what it means about how interconnected all of um, the species are in the world and all of our ecosystems. And so, when we lose the orca because of lack of salmon, it's also affecting the bears and the birds and us and like, you know, we're all the trees. And then um, through that lens, like talking to indigenous communities up and down the coast and hearing, um, you know, how connected like they are to the ecosystem and like with food, um, like I know when we went to Alert Bay and um, talked to a man there, he was saying, you know, like all these fish farms coming into our inlets and when we don't have access to food, we don't have access to salmon, like our fridges are filled with um, fast food or Tim Hortons and that's leading to diabetes like we talked about in this film. So it was, yeah, just interesting to see like, you know, yeah, when I first started shooting, it was like, oh, this is an this is a conservation, this is a an, a documentary about animals and wildlife. Um, but it was also like such a human story too, which was really interesting. Like we were both the problem, and by sort of stepping out of the way, <laughs> we could be the solution. But also that idea of like ancient wisdom and ancient knowledge, where um, going back to like the original stewards, giving more power to indigenous groups to run these environmental campaigns and protect the land and the water and hold it as sacred. Um, so yeah, I definitely, I learned, I learned a lot um, on that. And it's so amazing that now it's, it's doing a, a big festival run, like got nominated for a Canadian Screen Award for Best Cinematography. And so it's been really, really cool to see that kind of unfold and unfurl. Yeah. Yeah, it really is amazing at just the work that you're doing on all levels, because I see the work that you're doing, like you've just talked about a film, another um, film that you were working on at the University of Victoria with a company that is, you know, working on, uh, you know, looking at reversing diabetes and how do you do that? And, you know, and then you worked on our film Grounded on My Roots and our future from Food of Our Ancestors and this film Co-Extinction. And um, it's like, it's just, it's, 
truly a marvel for me being 20 years, 20 plus years, your senior. Um, and, and you're so young, like it just gives me so much hope. I'm like, please, like, we need you to be out there and sharing your wisdom because you two have so much wisdom um, compared to so many of the individuals out there that like a lot of the baby boomers out there that, you know, went through life thinking that you can just take, 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 and that there would be no repercussions from that. But then we see climate change is the result of that. We see so much consumption as a result of that. We see so much disease, mental health conditions as the result of that. And then here you two are um, in your twenties creating these incredible films that heal and documentaries really are, and films are really a, a gateway to that. Um, sharing of this knowledge but what you talked about as well like this ancient wisdom and and looking at um, indigenous uh, peoples as being a way to share that knowledge but what are some other ways beyond the films that you see that we can collectively learn about all of these different topics because um, yeah I sometimes wonder if if it's like we need more people like how do we just clone you maybe that's the question that I have <laughs> like how, how do we do this how do we get the young generations um knowing about this and also sharing it so that you know older generations and like myself and my parents can learn mm -hmm. and I know it's a big question but I'm just curious if you have any other ideas yeah I feel like I don't know maybe it's just who we surround ourselves with but I feel like a lot of people I know are more aware of these topics. And mm -hmm. I think because it's so in our face, you know, with say like diabetes or chronic disease, like we know so many people that are suffering from chronic illnesses and um, well, we see climate change as it is. And so I feel like it's more in our face than it was, say, like 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Um, and so I feel like, yeah, maybe our generation is trying to do little things, at least mm -hmm. little, if not big things to, to make a difference. Yeah, I feel like we're so acutely aware of what the problems are, because they're very relevant and like, in our face in terms of climate change like we can we can see it and chronic disease like when you ask you know put your hand up who here knows someone with a chronic disease and like at your talks you know you're saying almost everyone's putting up their hand and i feel like yeah as young people now we can we like we see what's wrong um and then when like listening to elders or to spiritual leaders or just talking to friends like just the wisdom is um it's so relevant <laughs> and it just seems to make sense it's like oh yeah well yeah that is messed up and that sounds like a really good solution and so it's kind of this understanding and then you know that yeah it gives us hope as well that there is a way forward and the way forward is actually like looking into the past to yeah. <laughs> the way forward is kind of going backward um yeah mm -hmm. 
I've said that in university too, and some of my assignments and everything. Like there, there's so many ways. It's like looking back to forge a new path forward. Mm-hmm. Like there's so much wisdom if we trace our trace backwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's something else that you said earlier too, which really resonated with me. Um, and and it's this part about women as leaders. And I just want to make sure I get this right because um, you said it was your aunt that said, had said to you, be grounded in who we are. Um, and that it was important to do that, to be really grounded in who we are. And that also looking to women um, to be the leaders who are going to help us out of a lot of this. So can you just speak to a little bit more about that and the wisdom that she shared with you? Yeah, it really was that that people were going to be looking to Indigenous people across the globe um, as leaders and guides through, I'm not sure what it supposed to be through but we'll be looking at indigenous especially women um yeah as leaders to make it through the world I guess (laughs) and I feel like I feel like that is coming to fruition now where people are seeking more and looking for answers and wanting help and looking for a path forward I think it's like, especially after lockdowns and everything that's going on in our world, like, I feel like people are going inwards a lot more. Again, maybe that's just who we surround ourselves with. But um, yeah, I feel like there's a lot more like contemplation, reflection, seeking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and looking towards people to guide them as well. Yeah, and we definitely need that. I mean, you spoke about elders and when often we use the word elders, most people think about indigenous elders, um, you know, to to go to. But if you're not indigenous, it's it's where do you go? And it's something I've struggled with is that we don't have elders. We don't have rites of passage in, um, well, I mean, I could have if I had stayed in Malawi because that was built into our culture, but being in Canada, like that was not built into my dad's culture. You're kind of left on your own uh, to your own devices, which ends up being, you know, in my dad's case, alcohol, um, you know, drugs, when you have trauma, when you have fear, when you have um, big moments that you're going through. And so, you know, my dad never had an elder. I didn't ever feel like I had an elder. And so I'm curious as to, you know, for somebody who listens to that and listens to similar to even just the documentary around food, like look to your ancestors to see what they ate, but who, if you're not indigenous, like who do we look to as our elders, you know, and that's a question that I um, struggle with, but I'm just curious if you have thoughts on that for people who are not indigenous. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, hmm. Yeah, it's kind of tricky because I feel like, I mean, for me, um, my my dad was always kind of the one who would, um, you know, his philosophy was, 
really pushing me to be who you are, like figure out who you are um, and, and follow your dreams. And he would always say, it's like, you know, why be someone else? Like you can only be yourself. So, and so that was like something that that was always a guiding post for me. But I know that saying that um, a lot of like my values and teachings came from the East. And I know for him as well, like um, he was searching for spirituality. And so that is like a big teaching there, you know, asking the question, like, who am I? Um, and so I think a lot of what he was saying was also from Eastern traditions, um, like listening to people like, I mean, our, our spiritual leader, my guru, Sri Shakti Amma, but then also um, like Sadhguru, Ram Das, like all of those people that, again, it like goes back to ancient knowledge. So that's why I, I don't know if it's the best answer to the question, because it's like, oh, my parents, my, um, my mom and my dad, but again like once it goes back it was kind of going it's coming from like eastern and ancient wisdom um so yeah I don't know like I mean those are all like in terms of like spiritual leaders um or people who are I think there's more people talking about that kind of stuff now as well um I know like Russell Brand has a podcast like Wim Hof the Wim Hof method um and yeah but I, yeah I don't know I'd have to well I also think about Landon who worked on the film as well well Landon uh Cobblestone who worked on the film and I know he really looks to nature as well as being an elder and which I just again love that how you know even just looking at his Instagram I mean it is all about the beauty and the vastness of nature and everything that it teaches us and so that um, for people who are feeling lost I know for myself as well it was nature that kept me grounded all of these years while I was looking to understand my roots and where I came from and when I didn't have elders who could teach me and share this wisdom and it was from going to yoga it was from finding spiritual leaders out there and taking snippets from you know their teachings as well that really did ground me and so you know when we talk about looking to our elders I mean we do have elders we have the trees are our elders the grass is our elder the soil is our elder as well but tell me more about the because uh, your parents I was always so mesmerized when your dad had told me about the Ayurvedic healing center that um that your family built in India. Tell me, tell it, share more about that. And is that something you can share about that? Is it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's totally true with um, with nature. I know that's been definitely a really big part in my life as well. And actually reminds me that I think, um, yeah, like growing up, kind of like spending a lot of time in India, like first meeting Amma when I was two and then going to India when I was four and being steeped in that culture and then coming back here to high school um, and yeah oftentimes it would feel lonely or strange and but I remember like kind of once I was spending more time outside and connecting with nature and then finding other people that 
loved the outdoors. Like I found that similar piece, that thread. And so that's kind of where I felt more at home. And I think how I got into a lot of like surfing, climbing, hiking, like, because those were the people that I felt more connected to. And like, we had this like-minded interest. So I think, yeah, nature is definitely like a, a grounding and connecting force. Um, but yeah, so talking about India, um, yeah, my dad had, had, uh, had been searching um, and had been trying to find a spiritual path. Um, he didn't really connect with going to church or, you know, he tried all the, his parents like exposed him to all the different religions and he wasn't super keen on any of it, but he was seeking, like he, you know, he took math and philosophy in university. So he has this very philosophical side um and it was through a friend in Calgary um that was Indian who told him um about Amma and the Pedam um and that there was a spiritual leader in India who was you know um helping so many people in this small village and that um they come to to Canada to Toronto and so my dad flew to Toronto and met Amma and was just like completely <laughs> enthralled and and he was hooked um and so he went to india alone for the first time um before taking us the family and uh at that time it was like um just a small temple and there was no like guest accommodation sleep on the floor uh, I think there was one shower and there was like maybe 10 people that were there and it was you know hours and hours away from any sort of major city um, but yeah the message really was um, I mean it was like Hindu practices but Amma had always said like you know we're the religion of love so it's really any religion can come and take part in the prayers um, but it really like the, the biggest teaching was just around helping others. Um, and so he was involved there in building like a hospital and, um, orphanages, universities. So we'd, so we'd go over there, um, at least once or twice a year, um, if we could, and ended up spending three months there when we were in grade five, which was amazing. Um, and then recently Emma had been talking more about Ayurveda and Siddha medicine. Um, so sort of like, yeah, this sort of wellness approach, like not the sick care model, but preventative medicine and, and wellness um, and wanting to create a, a center where these, um, these practices were available. And so um, over the last few years, like my parents have been involved and the family's been involved in um, the Shri, it's called the Srinarayani Holistic Center in Southern India. So they're offering like Ayurveda, Siddha medicine, yoga retreats um, for the local community and then also for Westerners. So they have um, guest rooms there that you can stay while you're, um, while you're getting your treatments and so yeah, it's definitely like, it's been a part of my life for, well, 
since I can remember. Yeah, your whole life pretty much like since yeah. you were two. Yeah. yeah, which is incredible. And it's um and it's been interesting to watch what has happened in South Asia and yoga coming to the West and then the um the I guess the is it the commoditization of yoga and I wonder for you Chantel if because we we're not quite there yet when it comes to indigenous um knowledge and it's happening right it's this um as people become aware, for example, that uh, indigenous ways of knowing is actually the ancient wisdom we should probably be going back to and living by those principles. Like I have a fear, but I'm just curious about you if you have a fear of it also being very, um, turning into a commodity as well as yoga has been here, has happened here. Mm -hmm. Well, you can see it already in certain things, like you can buy a smudge stick, mm -hmm. which, you know, I mean, we in Haida Gwaii, as far as I know, we didn't have sage. We've used a lot of cedar. Um, but from other people who I've heard talk about it, it's like you're not supposed to charge for, you know, receive money and and whatnot from that so it's like and like seeing different brands like well-known brands um you know selling a smudge bundle and calling it like a witch's brew or whatever it is you know like and like labeling it as yeah commodif commodifying it yeah that, like so there are some things that definitely are it's always a hard balance you know because I have people to ask like oh what do you think of people you know wearing indigenous jewelry and it's like well it's great you're supporting the local artists like they wouldn't be able to keep creating art if you weren't buying it so that's awesome but and then it's like yeah I don't know it's it's not black and white, I think, you know, it's not, there's no hard lines. Um, but yeah, I see, I see appropriation, you know, mm -hmm. headdresses at Coachella and whatever it may be, um, which is also why I found it hard going to India where Gabe was like, yeah, in this village in India, they like, they think it's really great for, to see a Westerner wearing their clothing. Like they, it's like a sign of respect and I was like oh if someone came to Haida Gwaii and was wearing like yeah. regalia I don't think it'd be seen the same way <laughs> so yeah there's yeah it's it's complex I would say it is complex and I know that that was um I love that for example Gabe that your family you know they've been part of building these uh, different aspects to the center that you know are for the local people, but for also Westerners to come learn because there's that fine line between if we do go back in history to learn this ancient wisdom, to bring it forward. And I know with working with the Squamish nation, you know, there's, 
you know, there's so much knowledge about the Indigenous plants in every nation, um, in any, any Indigenous culture across the world. But then also the minute you learn about it, then there's this Western appropriation of wanting to take it and then sell it as well. And then it becomes a commodity. And then all of a sudden we're depleting um, the forest, the lands for these, you know, whether it's medicinal herbs or whether it's, um, it doesn't matter what it is. And so it is this fine line because in order to go back, we do need to learn about it and share it. But then the minute you share it, does it get abused? And it's always something I think about, but um, it's interesting because as I see you both and you both have the, you have the Ayurvedic healing side from South Asia and then you have the indigenous side. There's a lot uh, to learn about how things have played out in history and can we do it in a way that is, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's just part of being human in a world where money has been the driving force for for so long. And so, which is also what brings me to just want to be able to talk about this new documentary that you both are working on as well. I know you just said that you wrote the storyboard, but can you talk about it now before you've received the funding for it? Or, you know, I know you're just about to pitch it. Do you want to chat about this beautiful documentary that you're making about the sitas? Yeah, yeah briefly talk about it I think um yeah so when I was in India uh in 2019 almost 2020 um before COVID and all that um, before COVID <laughs> <laughs> I was learning um uh Varma which is like a type of Siddha medicine um it kind of looks like acupuncture acupressure it's like to do with pressure points in the body and um the the man who was teaching the course um was explaining to me um about a film to be made going to three different siddha temples in southern india and sri lanka and um sort of uh trying to find the essence of the siddhas he had said that um right now like if uh, if there was a tree we have the branches of the tree which is siddha medicine like the branches are the yoga the varma um all those sort of aspects the practices but the trunk is made of plastic because we don't know where it's come from we've lost the essence we've lost the wisdom so kind of like what you were saying where we practice yoga in the West, um, but, you know, most people think it's a physical activity. So it's like we've kind of lost where it's where it's come from in that connection. And so that's a theme in the film is just trying to explore, okay, you know, where, um, who are the siddhas? A lot of people haven't heard about siddhas. Like, I think more people are familiar with Ayurveda um, whereas Siddha medicine is like the um, native medical system of Tamil Nadu of Southern India. Um, and then also just, yeah, in this time, like in Hinduism, it's believed right now that we're in Kali Yuga. So it's like the age of darkness. Um, and we can see it as we've been talking about yeah. climate change, the it just everything that's going on. Um, and so... I think, yeah, people are asking those questions when there's just all this stuff going on in the world and 
you know, how are we supposed to just go to our nine to five and, and not really question, you know, what's beyond that. And so I think, yeah, the film is really a spiritual journey through India and um, talking about this wisdom. So we'll be interviewing um, sages and uh, doctors and, and other people throughout the film. But yeah, we're in the very early development stages. So we'll see as it unfolds and grows. And do you want to add anything to that as well? Well, I was just thinking about your earlier question, actually, um, about, yeah, just making money off everything. But it was also, I think there are certain aspects within every tradition that are kept away from the mainstream that are held as like very sacred and not to be talked about. So I think there are things that won't hit the mainstreams and won't be commodified. And, um, and also the whole energy piece of things of, you know, when someone picks a plant to be used as a medicine, their energy, you know, you have to trust the people who you're getting medicines from because the energy that they have while they pick it will affect how um, it works in your body. And yeah, there's, there's a lot, a lot, I don't know. Yeah, just thinking more about that. And yeah, I remember one person telling me, it's like, yeah, be sure you're comfortable with the person who, who you get things from because yeah, it has an effect on you and and if they're picking things with bad intentions or bad thoughts, those bad thoughts go into the medicines and you know, we have to be treating our our plants, our vegetables, our the things we're putting into our body like there is an energetic field to them. Um that we have to also take into consideration because I remember one his when we were in India it's like yeah you could eat a burger and have like really high vibration high intention and it could be better for you than a salad if you have like really negative thoughts while you're eating that salad so mm -hmm. it's one piece of what we've talked about is the physical form of what we're eating, the nutrition um, within each of the things, but also the intention that goes into it. I'm not saying everyone should eat a burger. There's another company making intent burgers with intention. They're like, we're infusing it with love. <laughs> I just gave somebody a business idea out there. Um, <laughs> thanks, Chantel. <laughs> But no, I am glad that you brought that up because of the fact that in, in ancient wisdom from all cultures, we see that common thread of it's the energy that we put into it, that we imbue into it. And in the Western philosophy that's measured by scientific method that says, you know, um, well, no, this is the way it is but they fail to measure that energetic component because they don't have the tools to measure it. Well, I mean, there's so much that we don't know yet. You know, they say about the human body, we only know about 3% of how that human body actually works. And I know, and you know, indigenous peoples know, Ayurvedic uh, knowledge uh, and South Asian wisdom knows 
that energy is ever present. That we know in indigenous culture that you, you honor the rocks, the soil, the trees, the furried friends, the feathered friends, um, the fin friends equally because they all contain that energy and, and that life, you know, even if someone would say, well, no, a rock is not a sentient being. A rock in indigenous culture is a sentient being and in South Asia equally as well. And so, yeah, it's, I, I love that you did bring that up and it is so important that um, people learn that because, you know, even if we talk about Reiki or if we talk about um, you know, and Reiki is a practice of, you know, where you're just essentially moving energy and feeling energy and transferring energy out, but it is a real thing. Like when I do it to my kids, my kids have their eyes closed, but they know that my hands are hovering above them. And you share the story of, you know, being called to use a feather to help Gabe, you know, with healing his back. But I mean, that feather was energetically used, but equally worked in helping him, um, you know, feel less pain as well. And so, there's so much we don't know and there's so much that we cannot, uh, that we have to be very mindful of. I think people can feel it too. Like if you go um, over to your grandparents' house or, you know, it's like someone cooks you a meal and they say, oh, I've cooked it with so much love. And like, you can feel that. I know when we were in India last time we were doing some cooking and Amma had said, you know, like, in the west like what a crazy concept you guys have a show called hell's kitchen like <laughs> total opposite <laughs> like you know it's like yeah so um, yeah yeah. And, yeah and and people can feel that when when you've created something with love or with intention and i think too with like yeah going back to the documentary we want to make it's like yeah, just, I think just that whole theme of reconnecting to those, to those lineages, to those roots, to like, you know, all these things that are up here and really bringing them back to where they've come from. Yeah, that is, um, that is solid. That is solid. How do we do that? Well, we started to do it. We've made this documentary that we're gonna share with the world. I can't wait till we can do that. We just, uh, I know we got one nomination for a film festival uh, official selection, which is super exciting. I can't wait to be able to announce that. Um, and it's by doing the work that we're doing, doing the work that you're doing that I do see there's so much hope for this beautiful world that we can co-create together. And I just have to thank you for being who you are in the world, sharing your wisdom, sharing your knowledge. It's new wisdom mixed with ancient wisdom, which is so beautiful seeing, you know, such fresh, young, uh, intelligent, smart, kind, loving people like yourself. So I just want to thank you for being in the world. Thank you, thank you, thank you. What I also want to ask as my last question is you used to be in light films <laughs> and in light was easy to say. I know it was very easy to say, and now you've changed your name. And so we have to make sure we pronounce this correctly, but also spell it correctly because it's going to be in the show notes with the link. Um, and I'm sure that there's going to be so many people that hear this podcast and are like, you are the people that we want to hire. So when you originally made In Light Films, what was your tagline? Because it's such a beautiful tagline. Yeah. So originally 
um, we had in light films and it was, we make films that heal. Yeah, and you do make films that heal. There is no doubt about that. And now you have um, changed the name of your business. It is beautiful and it is, I want to get this right. So just bear with me here. Sahanaway Studios. Close. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I have practiced this so much. So share it with us, please. Sa'anaway. Sa'anaway. Yeah. Okay, Sa'anaway. And so why did you change the name and what does Sa'anaway mean? Yeah, we, well, you, maybe you yeah, can Yeah, I could explain the first bit, then, sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, when I was in India, I was talking with my friend Joshua and I was just explaining, um, you know, I wanted to help and be a part of people's healing journeys. And I honestly didn't think that I could do that through film. Like to me, for some reason, those, those ideas I didn't of, like, the connect. Reiki, the, I thought about like, you know, yeah, I need to be like therapy. a doctor, like, a, you know, whatever. So um, he, he was the one we were having dinner and he said like, no, you can heal through the lens. Like that's your healing. That's how you're going to heal. Um, and so it's just this like, oh, like paradigm shift. And I'm like, oh yeah, of course. Like, it's so obvious. It's, it's like, that's what I'm really passionate about. Um, and then to use it to help others and to heal. So I, I just wrote in my phone that night in my notes, I wrote, okay, like I want to create this production company and I want it to say, you know, we make films that heal because that is ultimately the mission. Mm -hmm. Um, and then um yeah we didn't have a name for a while um and then it was julian who came up with in light um in light films and i guess it was once we had made a few films under that name um we started to realize i mean just the content that we were filming like it wasn't some of it the healing process can be messy. <laughs> so, so messy. It's so messy. And so it, messy. You know, it's, it's not always like light and rainbows. And so we thought, okay, maybe we need a name that like reflects more of, you know, what that, what that healing process is. And that was kind of the conduit to like starting the discussion about changing the name. Um, but yeah, I'll let you carry it on from there. Yeah, and then so we were looking, trying to think of different names. It took a long time. Um, and it was actually when we were in New Clulet and Tofino, we were out in the water and it was just like Sa'anaway. Like, and I was like, okay, so looking that up more, what it meant, reaching out to um, a Haida language learner and teacher who learned from my nani, the Haida language. And yeah, so I was like, that would be, I feel like, I don't know, it just resonated with me. And then I was talking to Gabe about it and we're like, well, it's hard to spell. Like people aren't gonna know, like how are, like how do you spell Sa'anaway? And we're like, is it great, you know, searchability, SEO, <laughs> everything, 
but I don't know it just it felt it really felt like it had a spirit and the word itself means spirit supernatural spirit and it just felt like it connected more to indigenous knowing indigenous ways of being and recentering I mean with my own Haida language which I've been disconnected from and trying to learn more about um so yeah it was it was kind of our way of recentering indigenous indigenous language ways and yeah practicing what we're telling other people to do no and I really love that you did change it at first I was like no because I'm <laughs> always googling and I'm like I'll never be able to find you but uh, since you changed it, I've absolutely loved it. It has uh, landed so warmly in my heart. And, uh, and I also, especially because Indigenous languages all over the world, we are losing hundreds of them every single day. And so if we can have uh, folks bringing back language, even in the form of a business name or in the form of your own ceremonious name that you use, either at school or at work it's so beautiful because it gives people the opportunity to ask what does that mean where is that from and then this is bringing us back again to our ancient ways of knowing our history our culture our roots which i think is just all part of um living very authentically so i'm so glad that you did that so we will put the your name and the link in the show notes so people can find you everyone out there that is listening if you need a film made if you want to make a film that heals um that uh, lights up your spirit so you can light up other people's spirits please call Chantel and Gabe they are the people that you want to work with they're the kindest people to work with I have never laughed so hard seriously in the two and a half months well actually the year that we've been together so thank you for all of that and thanks for being on our show Thank, Thank you. you. Appreciate any moment we can to get to chat with you. <laughs> me too. Me too. And, and here we are. Was that not a beautiful podcast as I promised? Now, these incredible beings, I keep calling them incredible beings because I have raised three girls who are lovely, they are connected, they are wise, they are strong. And it's so exciting to see that, you know, they're still in their teens, they haven't quite entered their 20s yet. But to see Gabe and Chantel in the 20s, just really gives me so much hope for our future, for the level of respect, for their humbleness, for their hard work and dedication to really wanting to make this planet better, make our communities better. It is always such an honor to have individuals like Gabe and Chantel on our show. Of course, if you want to reach out to them, the links to their um, websites are below gabrielswift.ca, chanteladams.ca, and of course, their film, which you, their filmmaking company, their production company, which used to be called In Light Films. And I really hope I do not get this wrong, um, but the Sawanahi Studios. And I hope I said that right. I apologize if I didn't. And so 
it, please reach out to them if you want to hire them to make films for you and your company. You will not be disappointed. And of course, before we end, we just want to share with you some upcoming events at Eat Rail to Heal in the Green Mustache. Remember that I am going to be running and biking across Canada next year to raise awareness about the barriers that BIPOC communities face in accessing fresh, real food. So please stay abreast of all the programs that we are running over this next year. Um, I also want another announcement to make. I was just made a Lululemon ambassador, which is very exciting because Lululemon has been a sponsor of us for the 22 Million Strong Tour, where they really want to help us promote uh, 22 Million Strong all across the world and get as many people eating real to heal as possible. So they've been incredible. Again, uh, I got to choose another word besides incredible. Awesome, amazing, fantastic. So generous um, at um, supporting us. And so I've just been made an ambassador. So I'll be hosting events in the Whistler area. And of course, if you are not in the Whistler area um, and you want to participate in any of our 22 Million Strong programs, head over to our Facebook group, 22 Million Strong Group, and definitely join that group because from there, you'll be able to access all the information about what events we're promoting, workshops that we're um, hosting, classes we're teaching, courses you can sign up for, and definitely one of the courses that everybody, I really truly believe this, everybody in the world needs to get is our Eat Real to Heal program. It just teaches you how to eat real food again so that if you have any chronic diseases, you can actually reverse those chronic diseases, whether it's autoimmune disorders, infertility, it doesn't matter, anything from heart disease, diabetes, um, even I've been working with individuals with genetic conditions and getting pretty spectacular results that we'll actually be publishing studies on. So it's important for people to know the difference between real food and non-real food. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, head over to our website, nicoletterichet.com and purchase our Eat Real to Heal program and get started now. Get your whole family started on that program so that you can reclaim your health, reclaim your life and get rid of the chronic pain, eliminate the medications that are not necessary um, in your life and you can just heal and, and go back to just living the beautiful life that you have been given. So live it to your full potential. Um, thanks everyone for being here and definitely stay tuned for the next podcast. Can't wait to introduce our next guest to you. And thanks for listening, everyone. Bye-bye.